Many people are acquainted with the portrait of Whistler's mother. It is a painting that Whistler made of his own mother, but perhaps not as many people certainly in the world are acquainted with the portrait, the word portrait, of a good mother that was painted by a wise man of Israel many centuries ago and preserved for us in the 31st chapter of Proverbs. And may I read for you, and you might want to read with me. Begin with verse 10, Proverbs 31, 10 to the end of the chapter. A worthy woman who can find, for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband trusteth in her, and he shall have no lack of gain. She doeth him good and not evil all the days of her life. She, she seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her bread from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth food to her household, and their task to her maidens. She considereth the field, <clears throat> And buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and maketh strong her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the distaff and her hands hold a spindle. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh for herself carpets of tapestry. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh linen garments and selleth them, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laugheth at the time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and the law of kindness is on her tongue. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praiseth her, saying, Many daughters have done worthily, but thou excelleth them all. Grace is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth Jehovah, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. <clears throat> the scripture portrait like that of Whistler is a bit quaint and old-fashioned in many respects. Yet although the outer circumstances of life, like the fashions of dress, have changed, the fundamental qualities of womanhood that men love and admire remain much the same generation after generation. There is therefore an eternal quality about this ancient portrait that gives it contemporary meaning. 
The first thing that we notice about this woman is that she is a good wife, a true partner, and a companion of her husband. Let me read a few excerpts that we've just looked at. A good wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Her husband praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Solomon goes on to portray her as the business partner of her husband. Carrying on a variety of home industries and producing products for the market. Using good judgment in the purchase of a field and planting a vineyard. It is still important that there be teamwork between husband and wife in the business side of family life. But more important, there is even more need for emotional teamwork between husband and wife for true comradeship of the spirit. There is nothing more basic to the Christian family and the welfare of children than the mutual love and trust on the part of husband and wife. Sheer joy in each other's presence and genuine appreciation for the other's abilities and contributions to the family experience. A country girl once married a boy from the city. And after some months of marriage, she wrote home to report to her mother, At last I have everything I have wanted. I have enough money to buy all the clothes I can wear. I have my own car. I travel widely. I go to all the shows and concerts that my schedule will allow. There is only one thing wrong. I hate my husband. And how true of some couples, although they may not actually hate one another, their relationship is one of coolness, almost indifference. They have everything except the one thing that counts most, and that is real love for each other. It is against this background that one can appreciate Proverbs 15 and verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. We're going to look at passages that emphasize how husbands are to love wives and wives are to love husbands. For example, in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Honoré Daumier is a French artist of the 19th century and is a master of social satire. Has a cartoon which shows a man propped up on a sofa. His eyes are closed, one arm dangling toward the floor, and on an easy chair beside him is his wife, stretched out, his, her arms folded, her eyes closed, and on the mouth of each one an unconcealed yawn. The picture 
is titled Six Months of Marriage. And how often husbands and wives allow the romance and the glow depart. Maybe not after six months, but maybe after six years or 16 years. Husbands and wives can come to take one another for granted. But let's contrast that with the experience of William Jennings Bryan. One day when he was well along in years, he was posing for a portrait. And the artist asked him, Mr. Bryan, why do you wear your hair so long? And Brian responded, when I was courting Mrs. Brian, she objected to the way my ears stood out. And so, to please her, I let my hair grow to cover them. And the artist said, but that was many years ago. Don't you think you should have your hair cut now? And with genuine astonishment, Brian said, why? The romance is still going on. And it should be even after many years. In his poem, poem, The Investment by Robert Frost, Frost tells of a husband and a wife of rather limited circumstances. They put new paint on the house. They bought a piano on which the wife played not too well, but loudly. While her husband listened from the garden while he was digging the winter potatoes. And the last two lines of this poem set forth their life philosophy. Not to sink under being man and wife, but get some color and music out of life. And one gathers from the portrait of Proverbs that the woman pictured there also had a knack for getting color and music out of life and helping her husband to do the same. They did not sink under being husband, man and wife, and it's small wonder her husband rose up and praised her. The word picture also portrays a devoted homemaker and mother. Let me read again some excerpts. Verse 27. She looked well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. 21. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and the law of kindness is on her tongue. And 28a. Her children rise up and call her blessed. A devoted homemaker and mother. Johnny, age four. <clears throat> appeared one day at the door of his father's study with a forlorn chick in his hands that had apparently strayed from a neighbor's brooder. And the father said rather sternly, John, take that chicken right back to its mother. And Johnny replied, it ain't got no mother. And the father, insisting that he be obeyed, said, well, take it back to the father then. But Johnny protested, it hasn't got no father either. It hasn't got anything but an old lamp. An electric light may serve the physical needs of the chicken well enough. It may hatch the egg and preserve the chicken until it is old enough to face life, but that's about all. 
The tragedy is that there are some fathers and mothers like that. They give their children a warm bed, nourishing food, adequate clothing and shelter, but that's close to about all of it. Little love, little affection, and little emotional security. In Titus 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul says that the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be sober-minded, chaste, workers at home, kind, being in subjection to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. Parents are to provide for children. 1 Timothy 5 and 8 tells us that. 2 Corinthians 12 and 14. But the manner in which parents provide for their children should be an expression of love. A woman who cares makes even the most menial household chore almost sacred. She can accomplish her dishwashing or mending the settling of disputes with meaning and joy. And everything she does becomes an expression of love for her children and devotion to her husband. It's all a matter of the spirit in which the tasks are undertaken. What a joy such a mother is to her children in a hundred little ways that would uh, escape definition. She makes the children feel secure and happy. She creates in them what Washington Irving once referred to as that delicious home feeling. On a cemetery headstone below the name and the date of the deceased is this simple phrase, she made home happy. There was no other word, for no other word was needed. And no more eloquent testimony could be written for the good wife and mother than that she made home happy. Sometimes, instead of making the home happy, a mother frets about her task, complains and thus teaches her daughters at least that married life, home life, And the mother's place is not desirable. Let me read from Psalm, I mean Proverbs 21 and 19. It is better to dwell in a desert land than with a contentious and fretful woman. No wonder the good mother and homemaker has children who rise up and call her blessed. A third quality of the mother in Proverbs 31, one that undergirds the other two and make it possible for her to be the good wife and mother that she is, is her faith and character. Again, some excerpts, beginning at verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laugheth at the time to come. 20. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. 
She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and the law of kindness is on her tongue. And verse 30, grace is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth Jehovah, she shall be praised. This mother whose portrait we have before us is a woman of faith and spiritual resources within that sustain her in her daily task and with an outgoing interest that expresses itself in concern for others beyond the family circle. She's a faith maker. We remember from Proverbs 22 and 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Paul commended his, the Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother, Lois and Eunice, in 2 Timothy 1 and 5, having been reminded of the unfeigned faith in thee, that dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in thee also. The unfeigned faith is the genuine, sincere faith that the grandmother handed down to her mother, or to her daughter, and the daughter handed down to her son Timothy. And also, Paul reminds Timothy of his mother and grandmother. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, But abide thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a babe thou hast known the sacred writings or scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This mother, whose portrait we have before us, is a woman of faith and spiritual resources. A writer of children's books describes her ideal of a good book for children this way. It has grass and earth and familiar things on a level with the child's eyes. But it also has treetops and wind and stars to draw his gaze upward. And it's also the same with the good mother. She has within her that which satisfies her children's needs at the level of their physical and emotional requirements and, in addition, that which draws their gaze upward and Godward. A little girl was about to speak a piece in a children's program. And when she got in front of the crowd, there were hundreds of eyes, curious eyes, that were focused upon her and that threw her into a panic. Her mind just went blank. Every line that she had rehearsed so carefully faded from her mind and she stood there frozen in her tracks, unable to utter a single syllable. And in the front row, her mother was almost as frantic as a little girl. She gestured, she screwed up her lips as though to form the words to be spoken, but to no avail. Finally, in desperation, the mother whispered the opening phrase, I am the light of the world. And instantly, the child's face relaxed, a smile appeared where there had been clouds before. And with supreme confidence, she began, My mother is the light 
of the world. But everybody smiled. Some of them laughed out loud. And then they soberly reflected that the girl in some ways was not far wrong. For good or ill, mothers and fathers are the light of their children's world. It is them that it is from them that children get their understanding and their awareness of God, their devotion to Him, their acquaintance with prayer. The prophet Ezekiel said, chapter 16 and verse 44, As is the mother, so is the daughter. The weak faith of parents is seen in children. And sometimes as parents get older, they're getting closer to meeting God in judgment, their faith gets stronger. But their children, who were brought up under a weak faith, still have a weak faith. Due to early training or lack of it. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 23, If then the light in you is darkness, but on the other hand, if the light of the mother's life and example reflects the true light of Jesus Christ, what a blessing it is to her children and family. The wise mother does not have this attitude. We take the silver out and polish it with all the zeal that we can muster, but leave religion on the upper shelf, expecting it to hold its luster. But rather she pays heed to the spiritual nurture of her children. She enlists the aid of the church, of the Bible class teachers, fellowship with other Christians, seeking help from the Bible, from books and journals designed to help Christian homemakers. She not only makes home happy, she makes it a garden of Christian growth, a school of Christian nurture. And such a woman in any age is indeed far more precious than jewels. Well, does the author conclude with this. Give her the reward she has earned. Praise her for the many fine things she does. An old Vermonter sat one day on the porch of the farmhouse whittling while his wife sat beside him rocking and knitting. And after a long silence, he said to her, You know, Sarah, you have meant so much to me that sometimes it's almost more than I can stand not to tell you about it. Well, Laverne says there is no reason why a husband should put himself to such a strain trying to hold it in. And I agree with her. There is no reason why we should not give expression to our love and appreciation while we can, and there's no reason why children, sons and daughters, should be silent about their feelings toward their parents, and certainly above all. Above all else, we can speak up and give thanks to God for the blessings of the home, for the love of husband and wife, for the love of parents and children. Jesus said in John 14 and 15, If you love me, 
you'll keep my commandments. Jesus has all authority in heaven and upon earth. Jesus is the one who expressed his love toward us in dying on the cross. God is the one who brought about the family. And he wants through all of his blessings to make it a happy family. But to be happy, to have the hope of eternal life, we need his promise. And that is eternal life in heaven. But to have that promise fulfilled, we need to be in his family, his family. We need to obey the gospel, to be born again. To be new creatures. And to serve him. And to develop the character of Jesus in our lives. And to help our family, our relationships, the church, all who know us. To look upward and to look Godward. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall all die in your sins. John eight twenty four. We are to believe that Jesus is all that he is, all he claimed to be. We're to repent of our sins. The Lord's not going to save us sinning. He's going to save us from our sins. He will forgive us of our sins when we obey him, commit ourselves to him. He said, except one repent, he shall all in like manner perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. And he wants us to be baptized. He wants us to come in contact, spiritually speaking, with the blood that he shed that will cover our sins. Peter said, repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then he wants us to walk in the light, that is to live a faithful life, Worship him faithfully and from the heart. And to continually do his will growing in his image. If you're subject to the gospel. If you've never put Christ on in obedience. Could we encourage you to do that this very day. And respond as together we stand and sing. Shall we stand?